I want to continue on the vein of the church today. Pastor Lee's been ministering on the church for quite some time now. And uh, if you would, I got two passages. One is a free passage. <laughs> the other one is part of the message. The message passage is 2 Corinthians 10.3. And you can turn there and put your finger on that there. And, uh, and then the, the free passage is in uh, Matthew chapter 24. And... Um, uh, when you have too much time to prepare, you add different things in there. But uh, anyhow, this the Lord's been just really moving this on my heart, and now uh, I, I, I like to have titles. Someone told me, I think it was Andrew actually, that preaching's ninety percent title. He'd heard it somewhere, ten percent context. So, title is God's greatest weapon, God's greatest weapon, and God's greatest weapon. And Matthew chapter twenty-four, verse forty-two. It says, uh, Jesus warns his disciples to be constantly ready. You know, when you read the Gospels about what he's talking about in the end times, and who believes we're living in the end times? Who believes we're living in the end of the end of the end times? <laughs> Amen. Uh, and, you know, so, so much of the Word of God that, you know, you can say definitely proves the end times from all the, the wars, the rumors of wars, the knowledge that's increased, the running to and fro, we fly, we move at great speeds, and it's just, a, it's just amazing how the Word of God, that many years ago when they, they didn't have the knowledge, they didn't have the capability, they had horse and buggy, how he could predict the time in which we live today. It's astounding, isn't it? How can anyone not believe the Word of God is true? How can anyone not believe that what he says about the last days is not true? Amen? Because he proves it over and over and over as we see it happen. What other, what other person, what other, you know, thinker could ever predict something that is true in the future unless God himself lives in the future, amen? He's our past, he's our present, and he's our future. He's the beginning and the end, amen? He's without creation, without ending. So he says here in verse 42, he says, Watch therefore, for you know not what hour your Lord doth come. And I thought that's an interesting word to watch. It's not just sitting around and watching, but it's about being prepared, constantly being ready for his return. Watching. You know, years ago, I, I haven't deer hunt anymore, but we saw deer up there in Arkansas. Years ago, we used to deer hunt, and we'd go set, and we would watch, and we'd wait for those deer to come. But know this, that if the good men of the house had known in what watch the thief would have come, he would have watched and would not have suffered his house to be broken up. Therefore be ye also ready for in such an hour as ye think not the Son of Man cometh. Who then is a faithful and wise servant, verse 45 of Matthew 24, whom his Lord hath made ruler over his household to give them meat in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when he cometh, find, shall find so doing. Verily I say unto you that he shall make him ruler over all his good. But, and if that evil servant shall say in his heart, My Lord delayeth his coming, and shall begin to smite his fellow servants, and to eat and drink with the drunken. The Lord of that servant shall come in a day when he looketh not for him, and an hour that he is not aware of, and shall cut him asunder, and point him his portion with the hypocrites. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Christ's return, as you read in Thessalonians, was a, was a uh, this is still the free, free message here, was a, uh, 
to be a comfort for the church. I don't know, this began to stir in me as you talk about the church. You can't help but talk about God's return from the church just a little bit. And as you talk about God's greatest weapon, you have to look at the times in which we live. So that's how this kind of stirred in my heart. But anyhow, Acts 1.11, the angel declared, he would return the same manner in which he left. It's literal, physical, invisible. Christ is returning, and it will be literal. It will be physical, and it will be visible. It's not going to be something that's unaware. It's, it's, the, the scripture makes it clear. We, we which are alive and remain shall be caught up. It says, comfort one another with these words. Are you comforted with the words that Christ is going to return? Or do you have too much stock in this world? You know, it's a good question. I'm just asking it. Do you look for the return of Christ, or is it a fearful thing for you? Verse 9 of that same passage in Thessalonians is talking about the, it's not his wrath not being poured out on believers. 2 Thessalonians 2.7, he says, until taken out that which holdeth back. And, you know, I, as I talk about God's greatest weapon, which we haven't figured out is the church, as I, I see that. Part of what all brings in the tribulation is going to be the taking out of the church, which is God's greatest weapon. But Jesus coming back for a glorious church, the Bible says, without spot and without wrinkle. And Clinton used to say he's returning for a church that is greater than what he left. And uh, when I was up in Monroe, I, I didn't really preach, but Sonny and I just said a few words for, which probably preached, but uh, for Jeff. And uh, they had an interpreter. And she said, I was way too fast. She couldn't keep up. I said, imagine that. And so, but, but anyhow, I, uh, um, 2 Corinthians, let's turn my text here. 2 Corinthians um, chapter 10, verse uh, 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3. I'll try to slow down. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations, and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. And so, as y'all, many of you know, our, our son, our youngest son, not the youngest, but the youngest son, and uh, I think it was October 2021, maybe before that, because it was right about just before men's retreat, he decided he wanted to join the Marines, and, and uh, we were devastated with that. One is when you go fight, you, you know, you, you could die, but just the, just the fact of he was homeschooled, he, was, he just wasn't in touch with all that, and here he's going to go with all these centers, and I tried to tell him, I said, people get to choose between prison or, or Marines, you know, <laughs> why would you choose the Marines? But that's what he decided to do. And so uh, I, uh, you know, I asked Lee to help me talk him out of it. Jeff to talk him out of it. No one could talk him out of it. And so I, uh, we just had to say, hey, God, that is your will and that is your purpose. You know, sometimes, you know, life hits you with a lot of things that you don't understand, you don't like. And, you know, you, kids are hard when they're young. And then when they get old, they still don't do what you want them to do. So we weren't happy, but we were proud in a way. It was, why, why the Marines? God and country. It was like God and country. And so anyhow, let me just brag on this moment here. So he won what they call Marine of the Quarterboard for his battalion. And uh, quite an honor for him. It's, yeah. 
for the third quarter. But he hates it. You know, he wants to be behind the scenes. They put his picture up on the commander's deck. And, and then, he, then he also, he has to compete what they call the MLG. Uh, I asked him, what does that mean? So I just, he said, it, he goes, I'm part of a company which is comprised of two platoons. And, uh, and my, my battalion is fortified companies. And MLG stands for the Marine Logistics Group, which is comprised of about five to six um, uh, battalions. So anyhow, uh, he had six of the people compete with, and he didn't get it. He was very glad, <laughs> as crazy as that is. So, uh, but uh, he said he wasn't doing anything extra. He was just, you know, being a Marine. But uh, evidently, they thought he was doing something extra. But I say that uh, I want to talk just briefly about weapons, about God's weapon here. And uh, I, uh, I don't know. I used to teach Royal Rangers. You might know what Royal Rangers is. I think Bill did. I, I know some of you did. So I love I love the boys. I love teaching Royal Rangers, and and that's like a Christian's Boy Scout. And uh, but boys are f- so fun, you know. And they they uh, they like things that are big, you know. Take them to a big big monster truck thing. They love it. They love big rocks. Anything big, they love. Anything powerful and loud, you know, they love big, powerful, loud things. And, uh, and they love gross things. The grosser, the more they like it. Most of us men never change, do we? <laughs> so, so with that in mind, I, I just want to read, just bear with my childishness here for a little bit as I, I googled what the Marines is one of the, the, the greatest weapons of the Marines is. So it says the U.S. Marines are one of the most feared fighting forces on the planet, and for good reason. They have to, and, and you know, if you're, if you're Navy and Army, just, just bear with me for a little bit here on all this with the Marines. They have to worry about a conflict that could break out somewhere. And of course, you know, the Middle East, Russia, China, all that's going on now. Marines are known as the devil dogs because they bring a lot of aggression to the table. The Marine Corps comes highly armed with its own exotic, robust weapon systems. And I doubt if Google really knows all the weapons they use, but just to name a few here. It says, what's on the menu as their top weapons is the Equalizer 25-millimeter 20, Gatling gun. Johnny, I, maybe he knows about some of that. I don't know, but the, the, the Rock Eye 2 cluster bomb, the Nemesis anti-ship missile. They sounds really big and powerful, doesn't it? The AH-1Z attack helicopter or the light-armored vehicle anti-tank machine. And... Anyhow, these, um, the Equalizer is a, rot- a rot- rotary canyon that's mounted underneath the belly of a Marine AV-8B Harrier II fighter jet. That just sounds amazing in itself, doesn't it? It brings a fighting uh, type of annihilation. It, it fires an incredible 3,600 3, to 4,200 rounds per minute. I don't know if you can imagine 4,000 rounds per minute from five barrels that rotate in a Gatlin-type gun run by an electric motor. This helps the Marine infantry when they are pinned down by mortar fire or other types of heavy ordinances from building and bunkers. So you say, well, what does that have to do with God's greatest weapon? I thought it was interesting that it, this weapon helps them when they're pinned down. And then they got the Rock I-2 cluster bomb, and it, it, it's uh, carried on a Super Hornet warplane. And anyhow, this thing... It has 490 pounds, but it has 247 little bomblets. They only weigh like a half a pound a piece, but they'll go through seven inches of armor. And I, I thought, you know, if you just take one of those little bomblets, they don't do much, do they? They're kind of not that effective. But when you take 247 of them at one time, and they were used in, uh, I don't those that remember Desert Storm, they were part of Desert Storm. They were using Desert Storm, who were highly effective, and I think they dropped 
I don't know, 16,000 of them, a bunch of them during that time. But anyhow, talking about the church, you know, for, for me, before I came here, I really had lost the, rev, the revelation of church, the purpose of church, the understanding of church, and mainly because I'd been through so much abuse in the church, so much uh, religion, you know, in the church. And so it had, it, it had caused me to lose my faith somewhat in the church. Anybody else been through stuff like that before? And, and so I really somewhat maybe didn't understand, you know, maybe just thought it was a meeting I could come to or if I didn't want to come to, you know, uh, but not really understanding the church like the teaching of our pastor has brought us here about church and wounded by religion, usually in the church. So, you know, I understood the scripture. We're the temple of the Holy Spirit, the church. I'm really the church type of mentality. Acts 7, 48 says, but Solomon built him a house. Howbeit the most high dwelleth not in temples made with hands as saith the prophet. I thought, you know, this building's not a church. I'm the church. Okay, stay with me on that thought. Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. So just as a Marine is a Marine, he is not the Marine Corps, right? He's not the Marine Corps. He can do some, he can do much maybe, but he can't win the war without the Corps. He's, he is trained, he's equipped by where? The Corps. He is deployed, armed, and given authority in the United States of America to defend, defeat, and destroy the enemy. But what good is he alone? And... Uh, I begin to think of that as I talk to people and I say, what, what, what church are you a part of? Well, I'm not really a part of any church. I kind of go here, go there, I go there. You know, can you imagine asking somebody and they say, you know, I'm a, I'm a soldier. I'm a warrior for the United States of America. What branch are you with? Well, I'm not with a branch. I just fight independently. <laughs> this sounds almost stupid, doesn't it? That's how I think when people say, I'm not really part of a church. I just think they, what I hear them say is I'm stupid coming out of their mouth. <laughs> and usually I don't have much time to hear them talk anymore. Because they, they, they don't understand. They don't understand church. God's church. So, so anyhow, I, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I've been trying to make it my purpose to, to every day when I pray to go over the, our vision you know, God's church, we're part of the big church. We're also part of this, this local church. And the vision is driven by the greatest commandment. We are dedicated to the great co- commission, thus developing a glorious church. And so what is our mission? Our mission is to honor and glorify God by the growth of our members through fellowship, discipleship, worship, ministry, and evangelism. I think that's important to know what, what our purpose is here, what our vision is, what our mission is. Why, why do we meet here? What, what, what is this all about? So what prompted this message was, and uh, Felix was saying, my brown knows her, but uh, was Pastor Lee's book, Satan's Counting on You. I just say that because he was teasing me about something. But um, let, me just, let me just read this, and, and uh, Lee can pay me later for encouraging you all to read his book here. Therefore, the church is engaged in a great conflict, and her only concern is the free flowing of that river of life we call the Holy Ghost. So the church is the weapon of God. The power of that weapon is the Holy Ghost, who is to fill this house with what we call church. The Holy Ghost is committed to glorifying Mike, don't I? Um, to saving in Jesus' name, to healing in Jesus' name, and delivering in Jesus' name. No man, committee, board, or program can accomplish what the Holy Ghost is setting to accomplish. Counseling cannot take the place of his conviction. 
The actress cannot match anointing. Dramas will never have the same effect as the Holy Ghost preaching. Petitions will never possess the power of the Holy Ghost praying. Numbers will never make up for his absence. The church exists that it, will, that it may be his house. Therefore, let him loose, he says in here. So let's, let's look at my text here. It says, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. Is this doing okay? Do I need to? No. All right, we're good. For though we walk in the flesh. Another verse that says, though we live in the flesh. Though we live in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. And, uh, you know, it's difficult. We're in this flesh. And I, I don't know that this passage really isn't talking about the flesh in the sense of not trusting in God. But it's talking about the real physical flesh. You know, we live in this physical flesh. And there's physical things that come with this flesh. And so it's saying, though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. And so the war that we war after is not what we see. We live by what? Faith and not by sight. So it's not, a, it's not a physical fight, but it's a spiritual fight. It's a war. And Timothy, I used to be disturbed sometimes I read where he says, Timothy, you know, as a soldier, don't get involved in civilian affairs because you're a soldier of Jesus Christ. And I believe the, the same thing. We don't live in the reality of what's real. Now, don't judge me for this. I like Star Trek stuff. And sometimes Star Trek, they're always in some kind of other dimension. You know, they're in some kind of other world. Something else is going on. They're not in reality. They think it's reality, but it's not reality. That's how I believe it is as we live in this flesh. We think our little life, our little world, our little cubicle is real. But there's really a war going on around us. There's really an attack of hell against the church, against you individually. And we don't see it. We think it's physical. But there's a war. We don't, we don't war after the flesh. And then, and then, so then the physical, the spiritual fight comes again. And we want to fight it physically somehow. Some, some, some sickness is a spiritual attack. And it, it can't be fought with doctors. Come on. That's the truth. I know we believe. I know we're, you know, we live in this modern era. But sometimes God is trying to accomplish something in you. Sometimes he's wanting you to, to really cry out to him. Sometimes it is a time to go to doctors. And there is a, a time that's physical attack. Sometimes someone's coming against you and it's spiritual. It's not physical. And you try to rise up. You try to fight. You try to, to figure it out with the intellect. But God said, no, this thing is spiritual that you're facing. Who thought something was physical and you just kept, and just nothing got better than, but all of a sudden something woke up in you and you just began to fight that thing spiritually. Listen, I, I, back when I had COVID, I had it for 12 days. I had every symptom, you know, from throwing up to the bathroom, to fever, to headaches, to having trouble breathing. And, and um, you know, it's easy sometimes to pray for other people, but when you're in the midst of that, sometimes it's hard to really pray. You know, I'm just a mess and I... I remember that my chest kept getting tighter and tighter, and that was in March of 2020 when, you know, hospital was a death sentence. You know, that's, everybody went, they died. So I remember that Luella, Luella she came into the, I was in the bedroom, my sister came in first, and then my Luella come in, and then they, she was like, you know, Joe, you need to rise up. Well, how do you rise up when you're so sick, you know? It's like, yeah, you could say that, you don't have COVID. But I was so sick, and so they said, you need to rise up and believe God. You know, and that, that was, so, so God did a miracle. He, I got up, I went outside, it was warm then. I just started walking up and down the drive, just speaking in tongues and praying and crying out to God. And, 
believing him for a miracle. For about three hours I was out there. And then in a moment, that fever broke while I was out there. It was an amazing thing for me. My hunger, I went in, I began to eat. And my chest pains went away. God gave me a real miracle. You know, it was attack of hell. Satan had designed, he wanted to destroy me in that moment. And I know people had COVID, but listen, for me, that was something God did. It was a spiritual fight. It wasn't a fight of the flesh. So in this passage here, uh, Apostle Paul, he's, he's really defending against his enemies here in the church, uh, the, the world and the false brother, and some envied him in this passage, and a uh, green-eyed monster. Anybody have anybody jealous of you before? Oh, I'm glad no one's been had anybody jealous of them. Now, I didn't say, oh, you've ever been jealous. Anybody had someone that was just so jealous of you? Okay, a few of you. Okay, all righty. So, it's hard on both ends of that. If you're jealous, it's bad. When they're jealous against you, it's, it's bad too. It's like they don't like you for no reason. You know, you know hey, everybody I think should like me. <laughs> Why would they not like me? What is not to like about me? I'm going to talk about pride here in a minute. So just letting you know. Hang on. What would they not like about me? Well, maybe, maybe that's what you that These people, they, I remember a guy from the moment he met me, didn't like me. It was always a problem with this guy. He just didn't like me. He said, you just think you're so perfect. He was going about. You're so smug. That green-eyed monster is ugly. And they would attack the apostle Paul. They were so jealous of him. And in this passage, they're attacking him, you know. And, and they set out to undermine him, destroy him. And they lessen his reputation. And how did he dress them? It says in his first part, he says, he says, I beseech you that I, first of all, first part, now I, Paul, myself beseech you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. I love the way that he, that he you, know, you, know, you know how you defeat pride with gentleness and meekness. And that's what he did here. And so this is really what he's addressing when he's talking about this fight. And maybe, maybe you have that in your workplace. Maybe you have that in your family. I, I don't know. I feel like I have so many people always jealous of me. And I don't know. So they set out to destroy him. Well, carnality is prideful. It says he agrees with his enemy's contempt. Phil, he agrees with them. He says here, he says, uh, that, I, he says I, that I may be bold when I'm present with confidence wherewith. I think it to be bold against some who think of us as if we walked according to the flesh. He says, yeah, maybe I am not as bold in my letters as I am with you and and uh, it, was out of his, it was out of his love and meekness and wanting to be gentle to them, as uh, I think Pastor Lee brought out. It was so that he wouldn't destroy them in the presence. He tried to hit them with a letter. It's a little gentler there than when he comes from their face because he, he's, he's praying that, that they become more spiritual and less carnal. And he'd want to do that by a gentleness and a meekness. So pride destroys the church. Christ is coming for a glorious church without spot and without wrinkle. And, and, and pride is an enemy. It's, it's something God hates, you know. There's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a lot of things that maybe I don't, not concerned about what someone hates or likes. Nobody has opinion about this. But when God hates something, I want to take notice of that, don't you? And, and, somebody, and the scripture says that you can either humble yourself in the sight of the Lord or he will humble you. No, it's true. 
You either humble yourself in his sight. So many times you read in the Old Testament, it says the king would humble, he humbled himself. Well, sometimes God pushed him into that place of humility, didn't he? Uh, I was just reading about Jehoshaphat and all, and the, all these enemies come against him and he humbled himself and he said, God, there's nothing we can do. You have to do it. And maybe that's where you're at. And maybe you say, why all these things keep happening? Because maybe God's wanting you to get a place. We say, God, I can't do it. Sometimes we don't even realize sometimes how independent, how strong we are. And someone say, man, that's still good preaching there. So why does God need a weapon? But I fear at least that by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted with the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he that cometh preaches another Jesus whom you have not preached, or if ye receive another spirit which ye have not received, or another gospel which ye have not accepted, ye might well bear with him. 2 Corinthians. So why does God need a weapon? Because the church is under attack. And it's been under attack from its beginning, hasn't it? There's two sides to the church. There's a side of the church that attacks. The gates of hell shall not stand against it. But there's a side of the church where Satan comes against it with persecution, with, with, with trouble within, trouble without, trouble everywhere. Why does he do that? Because he hates the church. Why does he hate the church so much? Because it's God's greatest weapon. All alone, we can't do much. The Marines, they, they go in to destroy strongholds first. This is why... We, we pray corporately. You know, they, they go, the Marines would go in, they would, they would tear down strongholds. We talk about this in the passage. One, one Marine can't do that, but we come together on Sunday nights and we pray. How foolish to think we're going to go out and do anything without first destroying the strongholds. And that's done when we come together as a church and we pray together. Any, any great thing that God has done on this earth, it's when his church have corporately come together and they war against their enemy. Perse- people say, well, yeah, God used persecution to first the church, but many people were lost in that persecution. Persecution is, is a way that has to come and has to happen. But if it wasn't effective, Satan would not use it against the church. It's effective to cause people to quit, to lose out with God, to quit serving him, to get discouraged. Persecution in America may not be the same as it is in other countries, but there is persecution that comes against us. And it's a different attack of hell that comes against us with depression, with hopelessness, with all the other things around us that, that pull us away from God. That's a, that's a weapon he uses. Money and time. Americans, we are the busiest little ants on earth, aren't we? We're busy. And, and I'm preaching to myself about this. I'm busy. But if you're too busy for God, then you're too busy. You need to reevaluate. So how is the church mighty through God? Acts 1.8. But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. We preach Jesus, don't we? It's Jesus. It's who he is, how he lived, what he's done, what he's coming back to do. That's the power of the church. But the power of the church is operated through the Holy Spirit. Christ Jesus' last words before he was taken up. What, 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 what were they? Go ye therefore in Jerusalem and wait till you receive the power from up on high. You know, 
the only, the only qualification for being baptized in the Holy Spirit is salvation. And I, I've had people say, well, why do I really need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit? You know, if I, if I receive the Holy Spirit of salvation, why do I need the baptism? It says it's the power. You shall receive what? Power. If you believe you're in a war, who wants to go out and fight this war without a weapon? Sounds foolish, doesn't it? Why would we want to go on and live for God without having power in our lives? In the first church, when you were saved, you were expected to be filled as you read the passages in Acts. And sometimes they were waiting on the day of Pentecost. Sometimes they, were la- they laid up on the hands and they received. Sometimes right after salvation, but the people get, get filled with the Holy Spirit. But if you read some of the last, people talking about their last words, where Christ's last words were several things. He said, go on to teach and baptize, make disciples and receive power. That's what he says. There's many people that have spoken in tongues, but they don't live in power, do they? They don't live a spirit-filled life. They get mixed up thinking what they got was tongues. No, what you got was the Holy Spirit, the baptism, the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. The tongues was what? The evidence. And it wasn't the evidence, it's the initial, the first evidence. Some people can speak in tongues, but there's no other evidence in their life that they got filled with the Holy Spirit. The true evidence is power in your life. And, I, and so, tongues is the first evidence. You know, I, I think of a, of a carpenter. You know, years ago, they didn't have power tools. I love power tools. I live by power tools. And we take, everything has a million screws on it I work on. Sometimes I, my, my battery goes down, it takes forever, and the wrist is so tired. I'm like, you know what, those guys have built houses with hammer and nails. When I was a kid, my, my uncle owned a sawmill, and I'd build, get all the scrap longer, where it'd be real thin on one side, real thick on the other, and it's oak. Anybody ever tried to drive a nail through oak before? I'd get these big 16-penny nails, and I would drive about halfway, and they'd bend over. Pull them out. Drive them another halfway, and bend over. I think my dad did that to keep me busy. Yeah, go build a little shed out there, son. All that energy, get out of my face. Go build something. I'd, I'd, get, I'd hammer and I'd hammer and pull nails, hammer and pull nails. You know, I, I built that thing for years. I was working on it. Get... <laughs> you know, I think that's how Christians are. They're carpenters with hammer and nails today. They're trying to build a house. God said, boy, I, I got table saws, I got skill saws, I got reciprocal saws, I got power tools, I got nail guns, I got power for you here, folks. You can build that house in, in a speedy amount of time without killing yourself off here. And yet they, they say, well, I don't really need the filling of the Holy Spirit. Yes, you do. Why would you want to be ineffective as a Christian in this world today? For you are still a carpenter with a hammer and nails, but... Greater tech is available. Uh, let me talk about... I've got several here, but let me try to narrow it down to this one. <laughs> the church is God's greatest weapon because it's the pulling down of strongholds. Verse 4. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. I, I love some of the other versions call it demolition. Demolition. You know, some of my boys liking things, you know, big... It's just awesome to watch something demoed, you know, where they take a big track hoe and they just demo a a building, or where they watch them set off the bombs and you watch this massive building fall straight down. Anybody ever watch that stuff? It's just amazing. When you're done, it's a pile of rubble, and that's the stronghold the enemy's built, you know, that that the weapons of our warfare are not going to be powerful. They're powerful to pull down the enemy's strongholds that he builds in our lives. 
Most time it's our fault when we allow the enemy to build something in our life. It's something we do, isn't it? But, but the Word of God says that he pulls it down. Religion has a couple of responses to the Holy Spirit. Have you noticed that? When, whenever whenever the, uh, God would deal in the Bible with Pharisees, with religion, there was, it seemed like there was only two responses. Anybody know what they are? They were either passive or they were aggressive. He had them do a miracle, they'd say nothing. Everybody was like, ah, hallelujah, God did. They're like, or they were, they were, they were, they, they gnashed on him and they tried to kill him and he escaped through them. They were the passive or aggressive. What are you today? Are you religious? Are we religious today? Am I, I ask myself, am I religious? Am I passive? Am I aggressive to the things of God? Am I passive or aggressive with church? Do I say, okay, I can come or I cannot come? It's just a bunch of people meeting together. I can watch it on TV. To me, that's a lot of the church. They're either passive or aggressive, aren't they? So I want to do the same for him that he did for me. He hung naked on a cross. Naked on a cross for me. Unashamed. So when it comes to his church, I'm like, God, I know I don't earn anything. I know I don't get anything. It's not about credits. It's about you gave all for me. I want to give all for you. I understand your church now. It's not just the place I meet. It's a power force for your kingdom. I understand I need church and they need me. But what I have is not much, but I give it all. The little drummer boy. You know. <laughs> he stepped out of his comfort zone for me. And I can't even come down front. Worship the Lord without concern what someone thinks, or I can't, I can't show up for and work in the kitchen, or I can't show up for a work day, or I, I can barely make it on Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. I'm not judging you. Please don't. It has to be something the Holy Spirit does in your life and encourage you, but I'm just telling you some truth here. Church is more than just a social meeting. It's more than just entertainment. It's more than just another movie, uh, another reel, another thing just to keep me busy. Church is more than just sitting back and watching. Clock in. I used to pastor church. I call them the clock in, clock out. They clocked in, did my duty. Clock out, did my duty. I got my crown. That's not church. It takes a lot for me to step out. You know, about people look, they think, oh, it's so easy for you. It's not easy for anybody to step out. Listen, I've had 20 years of abuse and being put down and mistreated. You think it's easy to step out and not think maybe someone's thinking bad of me again? I'm not telling you that to brag. I'm just telling you that, that, that it still takes effort. It takes uh, initiative to step out and say, God, I like the passage in Isaiah. It says, in the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. His train filled the temple, and the cherubims put coals upon his lips. And God said, who will go for me? Isaiah said, Lord, here am I. I like that. Here am I, Lord. It's almost like, it's like God's looking around. Who? And Isaiah said, Lord, here am I. Use me. Send me. So Luella takes me later. She goes, no, Joe, you got all ten talents. And I don't, that's not true. She goes, and I have two. But... But, you know, 
Sometimes you look at people and you think they have all these talents. You think a talent is something you just wake up with one day and you're born with? Imagine Ezra, all of a sudden you see him, he's just playing a guitar like he's like, like the best ever, you know. He just has this, well, look at that boy, he's got talent, you know, and he's just, he gets up and he's leading already. Well, you think, well, how does that talent happen? Listen, maybe people say, well, that guy can preach. I know for me, it was awful. For years, it was awful preaching, not just for me, for them, for you all. It was awful, you know, it's just awful. You know, first message was like two minutes long, and the preacher then preached the rest of the message afterwards, his message. You know, and you, you, you think, you know, I remember teaching Sunday school. It was just terrible. Even had little lessons. When I got done, those kids didn't get nothing out of that. You know, God wants us to step out. These talents, you, you, you have these talents because you have the Holy Spirit. You have all the gifts, but you, but you never exercise them. Talents have to be exercised and sharpened and worked at. Come on, church. Say, well, I can't teach. How do you know? Have you ever stepped out in faith? Say, well, you know, I, I never could be an usher. I don't want to get in front of people. I don't want to do this. Well, listen, God will sharpen you. God will enhance the talent he's given you. He puts it in your heart. He gives you a desire for something. The Holy Spirit will speak to you. Don't, don't, don't set aside when he's saying, I got something for you. And maybe you have trouble knowing what, you, what God has for you, not knowing your talents. You know? Maybe you get involved in it. Sometimes I, I, I get people, I say, okay, it's just going to be for three months. One is I wanted to see if it's something they want to do. Two is I wanted to see if it's something I thought they could do. I didn't want to stay in there too long, you know? So sometimes you have to just step out. So made many mistakes as a pastor and a teacher, a Royal Ranger commander, Sunday school. Well, when I first got married, we, we were like camp uh, counselors, and we just decided to leave without the kids being supervised. <laughs> it's real smart, wasn't it? We wonder why we got kicked out of the kids out of the camp that time. I've done the dumbest things. I remember when, coming back from youth convention. I saw a dead deer on the road, so I put him up on the top of the van. Blood running all down the side of the van on the trip there. Took him home and butchered him. Boy, the parents, they were so upset. I don't know why they were upset over that. I was just getting some food. Poor mountaineer, barely kept his family fed. It's not time to sit on our hands in church. Why? Because I just told you, God is coming back soon. Jesus is coming back for a church. Listen to me. We believe we're in the end of the end of the end. And why do we sit on our hands in church and do nothing? He's coming back. Someday we're going to stand before him. And all that's really going to matter is what we did with him and what we did for him. It's all that's going to matter. I bet I preached 50 funerals or more. And all that really matters when you stand at that funeral and that person's in the grave. All that matters then. It doesn't matter how many dogs they had. It, do, it doesn't matter how many ball games they went to. All that matters is what they did for Christ. So I had to pick on the dogs just a little bit there. So I hated school. And I went to Bible college. Why? Because I lived Bible. No, it was the most horrible four years of my life. It was hard. Yet I said, I felt like God wanted me to do something for him. And so I went to Bible college. I hated school. It was four years. It was terrible. I started selling vacuum cleaners. God used that to home me and file me. I was so rough. It was this hillbilly. I said all these words. When I go back to Arkansas, it all comes back on me. <laughs> I start saying britches and whale and holler and crick. All those things, you know, it just comes on me. They're all wearing the overalls, you know, and it's interesting. It's interesting. 
So, so, but it was horrible. It was terrible. I, I worked all summer. Couldn't sell anything. You know how, you know how rejection, going door to door. Anybody did that little bit of that? It's, it's tough. I become top salesman, 24 club. I could sell nine out of 10 Kirby's. I did. Well, what, people, that's so wonderful. You think I just, that talent just fell on me? It was painful. And then when I even started in this business, I remember I couldn't fix anything. It was so terrible. I'd come home and I would literally be crying. I'd tell her, I can't do this. I'm just too stupid. I'm just too stupid. Well, how did that all get developed? Because you're saying, God, if this is what you want me to do, I'm not going to quit. I'm going to step out in faith. I'm going to allow you to use me. So life is lessons, but... Life is seasons, but seasons shouldn't last forever. You know, wherever you're at, even whenever I was in that dark season in my life, I would go on the streets and we'd witness. And even when I was at a church that rejected me, you know, I did nursing home ministry and minister on the streets and ushered. And I'm not saying it to brag, I'm just saying that there's always a place for you somewhere. God has a place for everyone. I gave my finances, I gave my time. So it was, well, I give to the church. So? I give to the church and I give my time. Lots of people, most people do. A lot of people do. They give time and money. I know it's quiet, but that's still good preaching because it's just true. It's just true. God wants all of you. Remember this guy, he was getting ready to be baptized and his wife goes, oh, you left your wallet in your pocket. He goes, no, that needs baptized too. <laughs> and they went under with him. In, in, in the Bible, God's, God's name, as I've been reading, over 300 times, he's called the God of armies. The God of armies. Over and over and over. The God, read the Old Testament. The God of armies. The God of armies. In the translation. Christ loves the church. He lives in you. Love the church. Love the church. That's his love. You love him? You're part of that church. You're part of that core, as I started out saying. God's greatest weapon is the church because it's not carnal, but it's mighty through God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, to pulling down strongholds. The end is near church. The call is to engage. It's to engage. Stop sitting on the sideline spectating. You'll be swallowed up by Satan, by your enemy, because you're not an island. If you're all alone and you're isolated and you're an island, when persecution becomes greater in America, and it will get greater, it is coming. It is coming. Listen, it is coming. Maybe sooner than we think. And if you're not plugged in and niched in to God's church, then you will get sucked up. Listen to me. No one's that strong. No one's an island. We need each other. I need you.